0: I'm Nikki Pope and I'm Lily Cox and this is the Respectfully Podcast. Good morning and welcome to our guest this week. We have Mark Woolley, the founder and inspiration behind the Electric London brand, which embraces hairdressing salons, photographic studios, products
1: and a whole wealth of hairdressing experience.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: And this week, uh, the hot topic on the table that we'll be discussing with Mark is training. So, Mark, can I start by asking you how many salons and
2: employees you currently have? So we have six salons here in the UK, um, and we have about 100 people who who work for Electric. Wow. Headache.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because it's it's 10 years, isn't it? Your brand was 10 years
2: old last year. Well, yeah, that's right. 2007, we, Mm -hmm. we had the first Electric salon, but we were actually going two years before that. Um, with our photographic studio, oh yes,
1: of course, cool. an art-
2: artistic it. team.
1: Wow! So, what provisions do you have currently for like training of your hundred members of staff?
2: For us, I mean, training is probably the, the the thing that ties everything together. Um, so we we do the the full core training. So you know, in this country, that's a an NVQ, um, and and somebody from being a school leaver to, to being, or somebody starting the career, right up to being a fully qualified hairdresser. And then we have a whole series of advanced training that we primarily offer to our own people and, and and actually do quite a lot of external training for other people as well, those advanced courses.
0: So you'll take people in at apprentice level at 16 and
2: 18? Yeah, the, the, the main goal has always been to try and cap, Capture people at their um, at, at, at when they're starting the career. Mm. Um, what we found over the last few years, those people aren't always sixteen-year-old school leavers. You know, they can be eighteen. They can be people who are in the twenties or thirties and changing career. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. So you don't think that there's a, a critical age for getting someone through the door to be able to start training them up.
2: Um, I, no, I don't think there is. I mean, my, I, I started my training when I was 16 and that, that seemed to be the traditional route at that time. Mm-hmm. But I think hairdressing is... It's such a, a portable skill. Um, you know, you, a lot of people make the choice to change careers and do it.
0: Yeah, and we lose a lot of people through having families and, and people who want to go off and travel. But I was, it's, a, it's a cost consideration isn't it having somebody older it
2: is it is and and you you always feel bad saying it because the that cost element of being uh, are the fact that we're governed by things like a a minimum wage Mm -hmm. and you know I have one side of my brain that thinks well hang on you know those people work hard they put a lot into it they at least deserve the minimum wage um the other side of my brain um you know hairdressing salons obviously have to generate um their own income, and uh, you know, they that those everything
0: has to add up. Yeah. Is there a formula? Do you take on double the, the trainees that you might need? What's the sort of rate of people moving away and deciding it's not for them, or you decide they're not for you?
2: Well, traditionally, each of our salons would look to take on three three people um, mm-hmm. per per year, and we'd look to um, start off their training process. Uh, that training could take up to three years. Some people finish it in it maybe a little bit more than two years. But um, there's always been a dropout rate, always, you know, from as, as, as far back as when I started. Um, I think with older people, there's less of a dropout rate. Um, people that are changing careers are coming into it later. Sure. Uh, with, a, with a 16-year-old, it's, you know, it's fair to say they haven't fully decided what, what they want to do.
1: And what do you think the challenges are then of taking on sixteen year olds now versus in two thousand seven when you started? Are you noticing a real difference in their attitudes?
2: I think there's a lot of this is a hot topic at the moment and there's a there's a lot of conversation about it and I, I hate to make those cliche comments of well, <laughs> the millennials are different to to us and they don't work as hard. I think there's exceptions to every rule. I make I meet some amazing young people that are you know, have really focused, really um have a clear idea of what they want to do um but I, I i do think um there's a there's a higher dropout rate and there's a um there's a there's a less people are less inclined to to want to really put in lots of commitment to make it happen
1: yeah um well that's something that we've heard a lot of and it, are you struggling to attract people as well because i know that that's kind of going around in the industry. Um,
2: again, that's a hot topic of people, you know, I hear lots of people saying, oh, less less people are coming into hairdressing. Um, we, as an industry, we should be getting together and trying to sort that out and help that because, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to strangle ourselves if, if, if we don't. And this is a time for everybody to be united and, um, and, and, and try and make it look as attractive as it can look. Um, I think, if I have to be honest, I think as an industry sometimes... We don't help ourselves. You know, if you look at um, how chefs are represented on TV, it looks great and it and it looks like a great career. I think sometimes the the people and the, the opportunities we choose to represent hairdressing on TV make it look a bit of a pantomime. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: I agree. I think we need to get kids more when they're 12, 13, 14 years old.
2: Totally agree, which is how I, I, I came into it. I, I went to get my hair cut in what was the best salon in my area at the time. And uh, I was, I was quite inspired. You know, there was 20 odd people working there. There was great music playing and it, and, and as a 14, 15 year old kid, um, who hadn't ever considered hairdressing as a career, it made me think, well, actually this is quite good. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I did. I got that opportunity to, to go in and work. Uh, I think there are certain things that end up being um, a, a pillar of the community. Um, you know everything from pubs to hair salons to and yeah I think hair salons do need to get that back you know they do need to get that that vibe back that would attract somebody to want to be there
1: Mm, certainly well I think a big part of that is 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 the training and the incentives that you provide to make someone feel um like they're developing in their roles and that they are have the ability to progress so do you do you incentivize what what incentives do you have for
2: your stars? Well, you know, just before mentioning incentives, I was thinking, you know, that the training process for somebody. I think the first thing is you've got to show somebody that it's a credible career after you've finished your training. Mm. And the training you're getting while, whilst you're in that two or three-year period is good quality and it will enable you to achieve some of these career goals. That So we tend to use examples of people who've done well um you know and they might not always be inside electric you know there's i think there's plenty of people in our industry that i feel should be championed you know people that are either genuinely genuinely brilliant creatively or they're brilliant at um, creating brands or or you know inspiring groups of people um so I, I think telling stories is really important. You know, they, you know, letting people know. And one is, if we're talking about kids, we're talking about school leavers, one is letting them know, but just as importantly, letting the parents know. Because, you know, when I was 15 and I, I'd been into um, uh, the hair salon I worked in a few times on a Saturday without telling anyone, I might add. Mm-hmm. And I, I then thought, okay, it's now time to tell my parents I want to be a hairdresser. I can still hear my dad in his Yorkshire accent, saying, um, you want to be a what? You know, their perception, they didn't know anybody that had become a hairdresser. They, they had no experience of it. But when I showed them, um, you know, I, I started my career with Saks, And when I, you know, they were pioneering franchising at the time. And, you know, they were good creatively. And I, and I thought their story was quite impressive. So, yeah. and I think there's so many people in the industry. So it's important we get those stories across.
1: Well, do you think that the product companies do enough to support the youngsters in training as well? Do you think that they need to step in and, and, and help in that sense and to elevate the standards?
2: Yeah, and I, and I think they are. They certainly do do their bit. I mean, my you know my feeling is you know that traditionally they've always provided um, education in in the things that they do. So extensive color training and mm-hmm. um, somebody told me the other day that. that And, you know, it was a it was a comment I heard as part of a conversation that the the major product companies intend to eventually be running the education for uh, for the industry. Um, You know, they you know, a lot of them are taking everything online now. And, and, you know, and that I think that could be a great thing. Um, But in another sense, you know, maybe that should be independent. It shouldn't be.
0: I think the advent of the colour degrees that several of yeah. you do have
2: been great. I think that's I think fantastic. I think I would totally agree with you and we have a lot of first-hand experience of that. It definitely elevates somebody's colour knowledge and, you know, it, it, it allows really good quality, factual um, training and information so so a hairdresser's never winging, winging it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think as people have to be much better technical trained because... You know, if you get something wrong now you know there's obviously an immediate lawsuit to follow so i think uh, my gut feeling is that the core training provided by the manufacturers is is very good and things like color degree has elevated it to where it was a decade or two decades ago um my my feeling is the the, the manufacturers and certainly the major manufacturers do have the resources and the restru- the structure to provide it where often hair salons uh, or independent hair salons are, it, it, you know, it, 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 it's, it's how organised the person is. Yeah. So it's probably consistent coming from them.
0: And I think there's a scary trend the last few years in the conversations that we have with people in connection with the magazines and the, the sites that we do, people are spending less on training. It was one of the areas to get cut in the aftermath of 2008 and the recessions. Is that the right? Seems to be. I, I believe a lot of the manufacturers will tell you that the take up on training is not what it should be, and not what it was.
2: I tell you what's interesting is, is I spend I spend about three or four months of the year in, in America and uh, with, with, with our products and what I see there is hairdressers crying out for education, but crying out for advanced education. Um, you know, and I, I feel that, you know, in America, somebody has to go to beauty school in order to have a license, you know, and then, but when they come out of beauty school, I don't believe they're a, they're a good hairdresser, you know, they've, they've done 1500 hours and they've covered beauty. They call it cosmetology. So it's, it's waxing, it's manicures, it's, it's makeup, you know, and hair. Um, and after 1500 hours, you have a license to operate as a hairdresser, which you know, that's a bit dangerous. And I, I've seen a few very good hairdressers from the UK, you know, um, very well qualified award winners, industry names, move out to the States and not allowed to operate mm-hmm. because they don't have a cosmetology license. But if I speak to anyone in America and say, you know, and I'm there promoting electric products and you say, well, what, what would you like to see? First on the list is education. What's your education like? Um, and I, I think what well, you know, one of the things I would like to do is have a hand or or be involved in the core training in America, being a bit better, being you know, hey, if you want to be a hairdresser, you know, I don't know how to do any waxing or, no. or <laughs> uh, stuff on people, yeah. you know. So focus yeah. on that and, and provide good training.
0: training. The other aspect to that is. I think we have access to a lot of training in the UK, but it's not always very good. And a big complaint at the moment is there's a lot of free education around on the internet, on YouTube, Mm -hmm. doesn't make it good. Because there's so much for free, perhaps that's why people aren't paying for it. yeah, And that's an issue which the industry could perhaps address better, is that we've undervalued the education that...
2: Yeah, and it's, and it's so hard to control because especially we're in, we're in the social media and digital age where, um, again, I've had conversations with, with people that have introduced themselves. This is probably more in the States than here and said, my name's such and such and such. Um, I have half a million followers on Instagram, you know, and that's, um, you know, and you think, well, okay. But that the reality of that mean might mean that they're a sixteen year old in a village in Iowa braiding hair all day, yeah. you know, and they have more followers than, you know, somebody, I don't know, with twenty years experience and a global following for really precise yeah. education.
0: It's quality control at almost every level, isn't it? Just because it's
1: out there doesn't make it's good.
2: Yeah. I don't know how you do that, you know, I don't know how you how the quality control could be instilled.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the idea of watching someone on YouTube or watching someone on Instagram has a value. It definitely does. But to my mind, hairdressing is so personable. Like Hairdressers love to come together. Every event that we do, we do Color World, obviously. And the beauty of that event is that you have all the hairdressers in one place, educating and hanging out with each other. And I think it. You really miss the mark if you take too much of it online because it, it is so good to have people in the same place and to have that hands-on experience.
2: I completely agree. We, we're a people's industry and we learn by teaching each other um, and, and, and being around each other. And you're right, all of those industry events, you know, that you, you, you get in people together, they're, one, they're inspiring and two, the people taking part enjoy taking part and being around other hairdressers.
1: Absolutely, and watching each other and learning from one another, and I mean, it's one thing to watch a YouTube tutorial, and to have a stab at it yourself, but if you've got no one to correct your technique, or no one to correct your application, or whatever it might be, you're not learning in the same way as you would be if someone's standing shoulder to shoulder with you.
0: I think, again though, it comes back to standards. I've seen in sort of 20 years, it's gone... Brilliantly in that we've got better education and mentoring programs and the fellowships done a lot to drive that the Brands now will often have their own mentoring programs the young artistic teams and and so forth But alongside that is this culture where everyone wants to be a star everyone wants to be on stage Everyone thinks that they're an educator or a presenter and then Who's gonna say no actually? You might be one of our best clients but you're not very good yeah on a platform yeah so that's been the tough thing equally with our events sometimes people will say how can I be on the stage or can I present and even as a non-hairdresser I might do a bit of a double take and think goodness do you really see yourself in that way and perhaps we've become a bit too um consumer-led or a bit too money-led you know I've I'm sure there are brands out
2: there who have put people on a stage because they were a good customer, not yeah, because they were the best yeah. person. I think, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree that there's um, that 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 is manufacturers and and brands providing a platform. Um, my feeling is, if you're on that platform, it does have to be you know you have to be well schooled, you you know, and some somewhere down the line, <clears throat> we've got to get back to. Um, people having good solid training and, and being able to um, have that skill of, of passing that knowledge on. You know, I think teaching is an art in itself, you know, the, the, there's obviously an art in cutting or styling or colouring hair. Um, there's a, I think there's a completely separate art in getting that information over to people.
0: Can I ask you about colleges, college-led training? I have never, or very rarely, heard a hairdresser give any credit to the college courses what is the issue what 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 makes them so challenging to salon owners to see somebody coming out of the college
2: well if if i have to say this with some honesty and conviction and it might not suit everybody but um my feeling is if you want to learn how to be a good hairdresser go and work for a good hairdresser go and work for somebody who is out there doing great work photographically, presenting it to audiences running a successful hair salon I, I really do believe that we 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 mentioned chefs earlier you know that several good British chefs trained in Marco Pierre White's kitchen whilst working 100 hours a week and sleeping on the friends floor go and do that if you want to become a good hairdresser um, my honest beliefs I think hairdressers don't learn in classrooms. Um, they probably don't learn in the hours of nine till four with an hour for lunch. Being taught by somebody, and I you know, I, I think there are very good college educators out there. There'll be people who, I've met some of them, so they certainly exist, but I, I do know that a, a large percentage of those people have gone to become a college educator because... Um, they've had enough of working in the salon and, and, and they, they want to work nine till four, Monday to Friday and, and you know that might not be the correct thing to say but it is my honest feeling I think if, if you want to learn how to be a good hairdresser go and work for somebody who's renowned and, and 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 work as hard as you can listening to everything they tell you
1: What is the most useful training that you think you've ever had? Have
2: there been a course you've been on that's... Um, yeah, I think the the most useful um, training I've ever had probably was my core training, you know, and it was, um, you know, I really want, wanted to do it and I wanted to learn from these people and I can remember certain times of thinking, I'm never going to grasp this and, um, you know, learning to blow dry and cut and things like that and, you you know, maybe going at it for the fourth time on the same model because something isn't quite right to so wet it down and you, you You've done it again. I can remember those late nights of getting the bus home and thinking, but, you know, I I do believe that that's what shaped it. For me, it's probably the time I've spent with people rather than going on specific courses, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, from a hair point of view and and from a a building a business point of view.
1: That's interesting. And what was the the last training course that you can remember going on? Are you someone who's interested in, like continued yeah, professional I, development as they say yeah
2: and I sit in on a on a lot of you know so we uh, we provide quite a, a bit of um, external edu- education and some of that happens within some of the m- major manufacturers academies so being in that environment I've sat in on quite a lot of courses and you know we mentioned the colour training earlier I've sat in on quite a lot of those and quite recently um, and I think you know, we're in an ever-moving world. I think anyone that doesn't educate themselves or thinks I'm an educator, therefore I won't be educated, it is pretty much the writing's on the wall in this industry because it is, it is fast-moving. And I, if I'm totally honest, I see people doing things most of the time and I think, do I understand that as much as they do? And, and, and often the answer is no, so I, I do tend to try and go and learn something off, off, off them.
1: Yeah, keep
2: your eye in. Yeah. So I've sat in on quite a lot of courses. Um
0: And training, is it evolving fast enough in the way it's delivered? Because I'm I'm left cold by the idea of sitting for two hours watching somebody else do something. We've all grown up doing our homework with the music blaring. That's not new. But my teenagers have the music on, the YouTube on, they're checking their phone, they're writing. And they will engage, but we just have to find different ways. Shorter, yeah. So maybe...
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think the you, you see a lot of people having a um, within an academy now. There's a live room often, isn't there? So the you know people are transmitting and and um, I still, I, I personally I still feel live is the best the best way to see it. Yeah. Um, you know, and st- I think stage. You know, the other night you did the tribute show. I think you know you you can see something on stage um, that might spark something off that you might have to go on one of their courses to see that technique and, and, you know, I believe in that.
1: Definitely. I think it being interactive is, is the way you have to reach the younger generation now. They have to be engaged in what they're doing because everything is so fast moving and as Nikki said, there's so many things going on, so many distractions all around you. You need to have active participation in whatever it is to to get the result
2: from it. I've seen hair shows that have been almost life-changing in, in you know, just when you think, you know, and I'm I, I just mentioning a few names earlier, I I went through a period of my career where, where I learnt a lot from Anthony Muscolo, just in in how hair should look and be and be delivered, you know, I just thought he, he had a great eye. I tried to learn that often by, by being around him. And then we spoke earlier about Tim Hartley, who... You know, had all that history with Sassoon, so all of that Sassoon discipline and and geometry, but I feel like he was the guy that really made that his own, and he's throwing in David Hockney, and he's throwing in um, Manchester music scene, you know, yeah. eighty two to ninety five, and and throwing in McQueen, and you know, with all this, you know, I loved that, you know, I think, you know, I remember going through a, a phase of thinking, right, I want to. I want to know everything about that, you know, I look, I, you know, so I think yeah, watching people is a a powerful thing.
0: You travel quite a lot I and mean, you've referenced America and the need for education. The idea that the UK is the centre of great hairdressing education and training, do you think that still holds true? Do we still have the internationals looking to the UK?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I, I, I believe it is. You know, and I think I see... What I do see is pockets in every country I've been to. You know, you can be in Asia, you can be in America, and you 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 can see people who've been really well-trained and really, really well-schooled. Um, and I think the fact is that everybody is digitally connected. So, um, you know, I think we're past the days of saying, oh, well, in that country, they're not as good as this country or, you know maybe in a general term but i think yeah i do think british hairdressing is 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 still very very strong um you know we should all be trying to keep it that way
0: it's a unique thing in hairdressing there is no other industry that i can think of where you have such an overt sharing of knowledge which is education and stroke training throughout you don't have groups teaching each other how to write the hit song that they've just had, yeah. or a clothes designer saying at the end of the catwalk show, now I'm going to show you how I cut that. Um, an accountant wouldn't have a seminar yeah. to show you how to do to do Yeah, your we maths share a correctly. lot, actually, you're right. It, it's really I special. Thought about
2: it. Yeah, I have not thought about it like that, it is.
0: And I think I think there are people in history, such as Anthony Mascolo, who have really kicked that along the road. Um, Trevor Sorby, people who rather than keep their knowledge and skills to themselves and not share they get out there and show you how to do it Yeah. I don't know when that came in it was probably pre my time in hairdressing whether it's always been that way but certainly since the 90s yeah. it's been very much the case I
2: think what happened here and, and this is why you know, people talk about British hairdressing being at the top of the ladder um, I think Sassoon probably in the 60s changed everything And he he aligned, you know, if you look at most industries, um, creative industries, in the UK, they're all quite aligned, you know, fashion, art, music, hair, youth culture. Um, In a lot of other countries, they're they're not, you know, you go to, you know, without naming countries, but you do go to certain places where, you know, that country might be really well known for furniture design or fashion design, but the music's terrible, and... Mm -hmm. Um, hairdressers are these mad people over here chopping bits off people's hair and doing crazy things that have no reference to to fashion whereas what I like about the UK we've aligned everything you know from um, from the 60s onwards I think Sassoon became part of the alignment and and we've had it ever since you know And, and you know the 60s you could align Sassoon with Bailey and Mary Quant and yeah. Terence Donovan and what was happening in Carnaby Street and the Beatles and you know
0: yeah the, the guys that's assumed will tell you that in the 60s 70s they'd be late for their appointments to cut the clients there because they'd been down the road at an art gallery or they'd yeah. popped over to see yeah. something going on somewhere so it's absolutely what
2: you've just have and we probably had another golden era in the 90s which probably the Moscolo family and Tony and Guy were part of where you know you had John Galliano McQueen you had Damien Hurst, you had Britpop, you had train spotting in British movies, and you probably had a bedhead haircut. And, and I think that's probably as important as Sassoon and Mary Quant, you know. Yeah. Um, and
0: sponsoring the fashion weeks and so forth.
2: Yeah. There's got to be some um, direction in how the industry is represented because where we've had the growth of reality TV. It, I think we've been badly represented. I think we, you know, with it, 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 a lot of it looks like a yeah, pantomime. Some, some
0: of the reality TV opportunities are scary. Yeah,
2: and 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 shock value. And I think my feeling is chefs would have the taste to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm a Michelin star chef, and I'm not going to take part in that. Whereas a hairdresser, a lot of hairdressers would say yeah, brilliant, I'll do that and I'll be on TV. Yeah, I'll say what you want me to say or I'll do what you want me to do. I think we've got to have some conviction. And um, we've got to, you know, I can remember seeing, uh, I think it was Trevor Sorby on breakfast television when, I, as I was about to, so I've worked in a hair salon on a Saturday, about to leave school and do it full time. And Trevor was cutting this lady's hair, you know, complete restyle on this lady, chatting away while he was doing it. And then he was telling whoever it was, Jan Leeming, or whoever presented in those days, telling whoever it was, he was getting a car to pick him up and he was heading over to Henley-on-Thames to cut George Harrison's hair. Yeah. And I remember thinking, well, that, I'll do some of that. Yeah. That's brilliant, you know? <laughs> I'll have a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah,
0: thank you. Our Programmes like Changing Rooms yep. uh, you know, were, were great. So we could talk about this for a long time, but let's make that a wrap. Thank you, Mark Woolley, for joining us
2: today. Thank you for having me. No,
0: you're more than welcome. It's been brilliant to have you with us. Thank you for listening to the Respectfully podcast this week. And thank you to our guests for joining in the conversation. Do check out the show notes for some interesting reading and practical advice on what you can do to join in. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. And if you'd like to, please email using info at ihaa.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic. Until then, goodbye.